Hey listeners, a couple notes before we get started. First of all, thank you so much for bearing with me during this unintended hiatus, unless you are listening way later, in which case I've already caught up and have backdated the episodes so that the episodes line up with the right dates, um, in which case, never mind. Uh, the hiatus was in part due to some personal and um, professional work things, but also because as I've been fact-checking a lot of these episodes, I just have not felt good about putting them out without digging deeper. As those who have visited the Instagram might know, the sort of motto for this podcast is there is always more to the story, and that has proven way more true than I thought. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and I can't in good faith just regurgitate that to you. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. Now, a brief content warning. This episode discusses violence towards animals, including animal death. Listener discretion is advised. Tottenham Corner now and Shergar moving sweetly on the outside takes up the running. Shergar is 10 lanes clear. Sikulaki Air gets into second place. Search parade and shotgun. Good to go, Kobe. There's only one horse in it. You need a telescope to see the rest. Shergar, clear of his gear. He's trying to start him. He has eased up. Shergar wins the derby. Good to go to second. Sikulaki Air is Shergar was a star. By age five, the Irish racehorse had won eight races and had almost as many wins under his belt, including the Irish Derby, the King George IV Stakes, and the Epsom Derby, where he even set a new record. He won European Horse of the Year, and he won everyone's hearts with his distinctive white blaze on his snout, his white socks, his friendship with cattle, and his big goofy tongue that would trail behind him as he racked up wins. He was owned by the Aga Khan IV, a billionaire and spiritual leader. In 1981, the Aga Khan retired Shagar, which meant Shagar was destined for a life of luxury at the Ballymany Stud Farm, having some very fast, very expensive little foals. He was expected to have 90 little horses within his first two seasons of being a stud. People had lined up to pay for a horse that Shagar had sired. He was valuable in every way. But then, in the foggy evening hours of February 8th, 1983, Around a dozen armed men pulled up to the stud farm. Some say they were dressed kind of like Gardai, Irish police. But their identities were concealed by balaclavas. Their reason for being there was obvious by the huge double horse box they brought with them. Jim Fitzgerald was the head groom at Ballymany, living on site. One of his kids answered the door and was immediately knocked aside. The gunman said, We have come for Shigar. We want two million pounds. Jim's wife and kids were watched by two of the gunmen. The others took Fitzgerald and the horse box to where Shigar was staying. They boxed the racehorse up. They shoved Fitzgerald in a car. Shigar went one way, Fitzgerald another. The head groomer was driven around for three hours before he was left by the road. His parting gift was a code word, King Neptune. He would need this. This word would be used in negotiations, so that both sides knew they were dealing with the real kidnappers. Thankfully, Jim Fitzgerald's family was unharmed by the time his brother drove him back to the farm. But before he was driven back, he had unintentionally started a wacky game of telephone. See, the Aga Khan had formed a syndicate around Shigar, so Shigar was kind of like a company, and all of Shigar's children were the products. The Aga Khan wasn't the sole owner of Shigar anymore in his stud years, 
There were almost three dozen people who co-owned Chigar. So Jim called the stud manager, but then the stud manager called a vet who was part of the syndicate. And then so that's how word got to the syndicate and investigators who weren't officially part of the police force. All in all, eight hours had passed between when Chigar was first kidnapped and when the police were officially contacted. From there... The police would proceed with an investigation that has been highly criticized ever since. For one, both the Dublin and County Kildare police were on the case. But for some reason, they didn't want to work with each other. It was like they were in competition with each other, so they didn't share any information. For another, Chief Spud Murphy, and yeah, Spud kind of sounds like an Irish slur, but that's what's cited as being his nickname. Chief Spud Murphy's method of investigation included consulting with psychics pretty much right away. But despite these controversial approaches, the kidnappers had also been strategic about when they kidnapped the famous racehorse. See, they knew they'd have to travel with him, so they kidnapped him right before the biggest racehorse sale day of the year. The roads in Ireland were covered with traveling horse boxes, so finding Shigar was like finding a needle in a haystack. And then the police were a little too open with how little they knew. Spud Murphy famously said, Clues? Oh, no, that's something we don't have. Meanwhile, you had the kidnappers calling two different groups of people. The first was the Aga Khan and his syndicate, who already knew that paying was not an option, because if they did, they would be putting every racehorse in the world at risk. If it was this easy to capture Shigar and get money for it, what would stop anybody else from doing the same thing? But they still wanted to play out the negotiations. They wanted to see if they could trace the calls that were coming in. That didn't pan out. The second group of people was a group of three journalists, specifically named by an anonymous caller who said they would only negotiate with these three men. These three journalists included Lord Oxy from the Daily Telegraph, Peter Campling from The Sun, and Derek Thompson from ITV. They were called to a hotel in Belfast, and then from there... It seems like for some reason only Derek Thompson was told by the anonymous caller that he had to go to a farm that wasn't super far away, but it still seemed intentionally isolated. So Derek Thompson was with the police at this farm when he got probably between like 10 to 12 calls, he estimates. The kidnapper knew that he could only stay on the phone for 60 seconds or fewer. Otherwise, the police could trace the call. So Derek Thompson was trying to do this negotiation, but also trying to get the caller to stay on longer than 60 seconds. But the caller was clever about it. He would tell Derek Thompson, when I call back, I'm going to give you this code word. And the code word was always the name of a famous racehorse. And it sounds like it was a different code word each time. That way, Derek Thompson knew that he was communicating with the same person. Oddly, this caller said that they wanted 40,000 Irish pounds for Shigar, which is quite the downgrade from the two million that the initial kidnappers said they wanted to Jim Fitzgerald. Now, the sources were a little bit confusing, but it sounds like Derek Thompson was the one who said he needed a picture of Shigar with that date's newspaper to be sent to the police to make sure that Shigar was still alive. That picture did show up, but only Shigar's head was visible in the photo with the newspaper, and they couldn't tell for sure that the horse was alive at that point, so the police said not good enough, and the caller was like, well, too bad then. There was one call around 1 a.m. where Derek Thompson successfully got the caller to stay on the line for 65 seconds. And he was like, this is it. I've got them. That was enough time to trace the call. But when he hung up, he said to the police officer, did you get it? Did you figure out where the caller is coming from? And the police officer said, oh, the guy who traces the calls was off shift at midnight. So no one was there to trace the call. And the next call that Derek would get was around 6 a.m. that morning. The caller said, 
The horse had an accident. He's dead. And as far as anyone knows, they were telling the truth. Shigar never resurfaced. Alive or dead, the racehorse just vanished and the kidnappers were never caught. Police did continue to work on the case for a little bit after this, but they had no leads. Just some suspicions that included plots by the IRA and the American Mafia. No real progress was made on the case. Until in 1999, a tell-all called The Informer was published. The author of The Informer was Sean O'Callaghan, a former IRA member who was ready to tell everything. So let's back up a little bit to what Ireland was like in 1983. In 1983, the troubles had been going on for decades, and they wouldn't end until the 90s. The troubles, it's complicated, but it basically refers to this period of time where Northern Ireland was fighting to get the British military out, and they wanted to reunify all of Ireland, separate from British rule. A lot of this was tied religiously. You had Irish Catholics, you had British Protestants fighting each other. But the IRA itself had differing perspectives. Some were about fighting through peaceful protests and legislation. The provisional IRA was like, no, this is war, and we aren't afraid to get violent. So when I talk about Shigar and the IRA, I'm talking about the provisional IRA. And it's this group that Sean O'Callaghan said was responsible for kidnapping Shigar. Again, that was a suspicion in 1983, but the police never had evidence enough to say for sure. And it was obviously a very politically charged claim. According to Sean O'Callaghan, the IRA kidnapped Shigar because they thought it was easy money. They needed money to fund their operations, to buy weapons, and they thought, okay, here's this really famous racehorse that is obviously going to produce many returns, so why wouldn't somebody pay us basically this like one-time fee to get him back? We're just going to go in, steal the horse, get our money, give him back, done and done. But of course, it wasn't that easy. First of all, they knew Shigar was famous, but they didn't know how crazy the media would go about this situation. Suddenly, you had everyone on the lookout for this really famous racehorse, and there was nowhere really to hide him. Second, they weren't horse handlers. They likely didn't know the first thing about caring for a horse. So Sean O'Callaghan believes that after Shigar was put in the horse box, possibly within hours of being kidnapped, he got frightened, he started panicking, one thing led to another, and either Shigar was completely inconsolable or he injured himself. A lot of people seem to believe that the latter is the most likely. He injured himself. He couldn't be taken to a vet because you can't show up with a stolen horse that everybody's going to recognize. So they figured their only way out was to put him down. They quickly dug a hole and buried him, or very possibly threw him into a bog. Sean O'Callaghan mentioned where they thought he was taken, but no one's had any luck finding his remains. So I was wondering about this theory, about the likelihood of Shigar panicking and hurting his leg and then just getting put down like that. Because I guess optimistically I was thinking, oh, if there was that really long period of time between calls to Derek Thompson... Maybe it was that the kidnappers were entertaining other bids from shady figures who wanted to buy this famous racehorse. But then I remembered how often I've been hearing about these huge waves of horse deaths, particularly before derbies. Just last spring, there was an investigation into why a dozen horses died at Churchill Downs, a lot of it ramping up to the Kentucky Derby. I remember looking into it because it just felt so weird. It's kind of like when you're watching like any other sport and... Suddenly, in one week, a ton of players get injured. And it's especially unnerving when they are all playing in the same game. It's like, what happened? Was it the weather? 
Was it the turf? How do so many people just go down with season-ending injuries at the same time? So whenever these like huge swaths of horse deaths pop up, I, I start reading about it and I'm like, okay, are there any theories? But it seems like the answer is always the same. This just happens. That's what they say. This just happens. There's not one cause. The horses have heart attacks or they hurt their legs. Horses are just really susceptible to injury and that's often followed by death which is a very, very grim answer. I wondered then if horses had always been that way or if they had been bred to be as fast as possible. Kind of like how more and more we're learning about certain breeds of purebred dogs who are bred to be a certain size and look a certain way but have chronic issues for the rest of their lives that often affect their quality of life. Like boxers, bulldogs, pugs, you know, any kind of flat-nosed breed the evolution of their nasal passage hasn't caught up with the evolution of how they look. And so if that breeding standard isn't what's best for the dog, then I thought, oh, maybe the racehorse breeding standard isn't what's best for the horse. But actually, this wacky horse anatomy goes back way further than that. Early, early, early ancestors of horses that still kind of look horse-like, especially in the face, they often had shorter, stubbier legs, at least proportionate to the rest of their body. They weren't really the long toothpick legs of the horses today. But horses used to live in more of like a forest environment. And slowly over time, as they had to migrate to grasslands, they evolved to adapt to that environment, to a diet of just grass. Horses have one stomach like humans. They don't have multiple like cows. So in order for their stomach to digest grass... Horses basically have to graze in little bits all throughout the day, and they can only really digest grass well when they are standing upright. That's why horses are standing pretty much all the time, because they're also digesting pretty much all the time. But being in grass means you're way more out in the open than if you're in a forest, which means you're way more open to predators. So horses had to develop this ability to get away really, really fast. So they evolved these really thin legs and these really muscular shoulders because that's what would let them bolt at the first sign of trouble. So all in all, you end up with this like really big muscular mass on top, four tiny toothpick legs that are good for sprinting, one stomach to digest grass all day. Is it the best design of an animal? Well, it's certainly not the most durable, but it was how they needed to evolve given the situations they would be in. Horses did not evolve, however, for that speed to be harnessed by people. They didn't evolve to be pushed as far as they are being pushed as racehorses. Their little tiny toothpick legs were only supposed to get them away from predators. They weren't supposed to be competing against other horses over and over and over again. Of course, you do want racehorses that have traits that give them an advantage. I mean, that's why Sugar's babies were going for such a high price. So, of course, there's selective breeding happening in horse racing. But basically, a horse doesn't look like how a horse looks because humans bred horses to race. But racing them does take advantage of their uncanny design, which turns into a design flaw because horses evolved to flee, not fight, which means they didn't evolve to heal. Having an instinct to just suddenly bolt away from predators lets horses escape from predators really quickly, but it also makes them very jumpy. So when a horse is injured, and that injury is usually to at least one of its legs, it's not like that horse is just going to be put on bed rest. I mean, it has to be standing to digest all of its grass. 
it's still going to be alert and jumpy. And so horses end up re-aggravating their injury or making it worse. And if they make it through the healing process, they have spent all of that time in agony. So that's why a lot of times when horses get injured, the only option appears to be to put them down as humanely as possible. Although that being said, the healing process for horses is also very expensive. So sure, there is also the chance that people just cut their losses. But I don't think that's really the motivation. I mean, you spend so much time and money raising this horse, you're not going to just destroy it at the first opportunity. And yes, destroy is the word that they use for putting down a horse, which just sounds so awful. In recent years, people have wondered if certain drugs that race horses are on are contributing to their heart attacks and injury. So a committee was formed to monitor the regulation of drugs and horses. And for a little bit of good news, the amount of racehorses that die each year seems to be going down. But still, like, this whole situation is one that evolution never accounted for. So when you hear about all these horses dying at the racetrack, it's not because anything particularly wrong happened. It's because horses never should have been put in that position in the first place. They didn't evolve to be put in confined spaces for a long time. They didn't evolve to make really sharp turns over and over again. But there's a lot of money in horse betting, so I don't see that industry ever stopping. I think the best we can hope for is better care, more regulations, fewer dead horses. So back to Shigar. As I mentioned, this is a horse that was friends with cows, which is not usual. Usually horses are a little bit too wild. So Shigar being an especially calm horse does make it less likely that he would have panicked and injured himself and had to be put down by his kidnappers. But again, it's also very unlikely that any of them knew how to deal with a horse. There was an investigation that suggested Shigar was not killed because he was injured. He was killed actually four days after the kidnapping. It was because nobody would pay the ransom. There is a rumor that someone brought a machine gun into his stall and shot at him until he died. His death was not quick. It does seem like this machine gun testimony, which again came from former IRA members, doesn't quite line up with everything else. And the Derek Thompson call that just says the horse has had an accident, he's dead, does make me wonder if Shigar really did have an accident. Because why would they volunteer that information? Although letting people know that Shigar was dead did seem to get the police off their backs. I mean, was anyone really going to keep looking for them if there was no chance of the horse being returned? And if the police was already pretty occupied with the civil unrest going on in Ireland? And everything had been botched from the beginning? I'm also more inclined to believe Sean O'Callaghan's account of Shigar being injured and having to be put down because of something Derek Thompson said when he read The Informer. He said of the like dozen calls between him and the anonymous kidnapper, there were pretty much just as many coat names, names of famous horses. He told people what most of those names were, but there were a couple that he never revealed. So if Sean O'Callaghan was lying about what he knew... How did he know one of the code names that Derek Thompson never revealed? Unfortunately, no matter the truth, it really just seems like this is a situation where the thieves got away and no one here won. Everyone lost, especially Shigar, who had his best days ahead of him. There was one theory that he was kidnapped because basically this mafia boss in New Orleans felt like he was owed a horse, maybe even Shigar specifically. 
So I do like to entertain this theory that Shigar was shipped across the Atlantic and lived out the rest of his days on a farm near the Big Easy, eating apples and having a thousand fast little horses. Maybe if there's ever like a 23andMe for horses, we can see if Shigar has some mystery kids out there. But it's also very possible that Shigar's bones are buried in a quiet bog and he will forever remain both a legend and a mystery. Thank you for listening to 31. I'll put some photos of Shigar up on the Instagram at 31pod31. And I'll be back with another story tomorrow. Keep curious. 